Hello, Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue in Conversation. My name is Brian Salvatore, and today, Chris McShane and I speak to the drummer of Coheed and Cambria, Josh Eppert. Josh is an upstate New York native who plays drums in one of the biggest bands in the world. He is also a gigantic, gigantic Mets fan. We had so much fun chatting with Josh. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, we are here with Josh Eppert from Coheed and Cambria. He is the drummer for the band, which is a how long have you guys been in the band for now? It's got to be at least 20 years, right? Yeah, I mean, we're right around 20 years now, man. It's been a long time, probably a lot longer than any of us had ever dreamed. And we're so fortunate to still be going strong. So in addition to being a drummer, Josh is also a big Mets fan, which is why we have him on the show today. So let's start. What was what was your first thing? Was it was it music or was it baseball? Which was the first love? Oh, man, I, definitely baseball. Um, I can remember uh you know, being five, six years old and not fully understanding the deep nuance, you know, the complexities of the game, but like being interested in the Mets. And I, you know, sometimes I think to myself, how the hell did I become such a Mets fan? My father's a Yankees fan. Uh, There's really no rhyme or reason to it other than perhaps even at that young age, I'm kind of catching on to some of that Mets energy, you know, the baseball, like it ought to be. And, you know, the Mets kind of owned New York in the 80s. And maybe me as like a five or six year old was kind of catching some of that energy, even if I wasn't able to kind of really dissect it and understand it. Or, or I really liked orange and they had orange in their uniform. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I can't decide. But uh, yeah, baseball was really my first love. And I find a lot of parallels between art and baseball in my life. They're both kind of one and the same. I mean, to me, baseball is art in a way. And um yeah, I think uh, I didn't get into music till maybe around eight or nine, and I was already way into baseball. So yeah, baseball first for sure. Yeah, I think that that divide maybe it exists in in, in a lot of ways, uh, but to me, it's just nonsense. You know, a divide between appreciating art and baseball or sports in general. You know, it, it's possible to be into both things at, I know, at once. I know. Do you, um, were you old enough to remember the first major league game you went to? I know it depends basically on what, what age your parents choose to bring you, but, uh, oh, man, do, do you remember it? Yeah, I remember it because I was probably 15 years old. No, um, <laughs> you know, my dad, I love my dad. My dad is the greatest. So I don't mean this to disparage him in any way, but he was busy working, man. And we live, we live three hours from the stadium. So you know, we beg every season we beg to go to a game, but it just like wasn't in the cards for us, I guess. Um, so later in life, I ended up going to games. But, you know, it's funny. A lot of people, I'm jealous. I'm envious of the people that like a big part of their baseball experience is going to the games in person. And that was never how I enjoyed the game. So to this day, I don't want to say I prefer it on TV, but I do. I do. And I don't know if that's like blasphemous. I do. I prefer my baseball on TV. When I have to see every pitch, I prefer watching it on TV. But I think I was probably about 12 my first game. And of course, I was awestruck and it was totally awesome. Then I didn't go to another game until I was 15. And then after that, you know, another couple of years. So I never went to a ton of games, believe it or not. I go to more games now than ever before. Um, you know, pre-pandemic, we go to five, six games a year. But to me, that was a lot. Um but yeah, I, I feel like that's like 
uh, you don't say that in the midst of like diehard baseball fans, but it really is the truth. I prefer it on TV and maybe I'm not alone. Maybe some listeners will say, Hey, you know what? Me too. But I do prefer it on TV. Well, part of the uh, part of being a Mets fan is that we have the best TV booth in the business. So, yeah, you know, totally. you get to hang out with Keith Hernandez for three hours. Like, what's better than that? So, you know, I, know, I, understand I, know. That. And, and I do love going to games. Believe me, like when I'm on the road, Oh, nothing's better than when the hotel is close to a baseball stadium. And I don't care who's playing. I'll go watch the Pirates and the Nationals. And I love going to Major League ballparks. But this is how I fell in love with the Mets, is sitting in front of my TV and enjoying the game and kind of dissecting each pitch. And, you know, when I was a teenager, my group of friends knew, come 640, I'm out. No matter what's going on, come 640, (laughs) I'm going home and I'll be back at 10, you know, and. If the Mets won, I'll be in a good mood. And if they lost, I'll bitch about it for an hour. And that's just how it was. But that's how I fell in love with baseball. And I'm always kind of jealous of the people that went to so many games. And like, you know, there's an energy in those parks. And I'll, believe me, I feel it. I love it. But God, I, maybe I'm, I'm thinking this whole time, like, God, I probably shouldn't have said this. But it really is the <laughs> truth. No, I mean, it's <laughs> look, it, I, I, I think it's cool that you're honest about your baseball fandom. You know, you, you're not trying to be a hipster about it. You're saying, I like baseball on TV. And I have to say, if when I'm at a game, the energy is incredible. But like, so I'm, I'm hopefully going this week if DeGrom pitches, I want to go to the game when DeGrom is pitching. And it'll be great. But I'll want to watch that game when I get home because I want to really see the pitches, right? I, I, yeah, no matter man. where I'm sitting, I'm not going to be able to see it exactly the way I can see it on TV. Yeah, do you got do you guys have kids that you bring to the games ever? I I do, yes. Okay. When when I brought my daughter to a game, I didn't see the game. I saw the line for ice cream. I saw yes. the line for hamburgers, and we had a great time. Yes. It damn near cost us $1000, but we had an awesome time cuz I was like, "Hey, when I'm going to a game, like I don't want to sit, you know, in the nosebleeds. I don't want to sit in the cheap seats. I want to really get some good seats." And it was incredible, and it's something I talk about always, but she was, you know, she was a kid and not super interested in the game. So it was like, I didn't even get to see the game. I had to rewatch it. Just like you're saying, Brad, I had to rewatch it when I got home, you know, to actually see the game, which was kind of funny, but believe me, I would never turn down tickets to a game. Like if you guys said, Hey, we got an extra ticket. I would be there with bells on, but you know, playoffs. And I've also never been to a playoff game. So maybe I'm just like the uninitiated, you know, I've never been, to a playoff game i'm sure i would love it i'm sure i would be like ecstatic but i've never been i've never sat god the in 2015 i was on tour the entire postseason run and i didn't miss a game i might have missed a pitch here and there i had my ipad set up on the drum riser the other bands would know knew what a big met fan i was so if i was on stage they'd be delivering us updates in the pit where the photographer sit they'd be holding up signs mets are up 2-1 and but (laughs) damn that I would have loved to go on and see. So maybe it, maybe it's a thing I, like I haven't been exposed to a playoff game live and maybe I would change my tune. But like come postseason time, if the Mets are in it, I mean, I'm watching on TV and I'm glued to every pitch. And that's just kind of how I absorb baseball. Chris, how many postseason games did you get to in 2015? Uh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> only, Dude, that rule. O- only because they – they, um, you know, they kind of got good out of nowhere after that rough stretch from sure, 2009 sure. until two, until uh, 2014. So um, 2015, they start to get hot. And in, in like at the very end of July, I forget if it was just before or just after they traded for Cespedes, but 
Uh, they came out and said, basically, if you buy tickets to 20 regular season games the rest of the way, which was almost all of them, you can get a full strip of playoff tickets. So if, if you if you bought two seats for the rest of those games, then you had access and the option awesome. to, to buy two seats at face value. And uh, I'm not saying it's the best long-term financial decision, but it was definitely the best emotional <laughs> decision at the time. Sure, and, sure. You know, that's awesome. It was all upper deck. So, but my wife was pregnant with our with our son, and she was having a bit of a rough pregnancy. And I just felt like I can't I, I can't commit to being in Queens all this time. So yeah, I actually totally. didn't get I didn't get to a single playoff game that year. I'm really mad at myself. I almost went to Game Five of the World Series, which was of course not a happy game but yeah. my dad who knew how much of a mess fan i was he said i will pay for you to get a ticket you go but standing room tickets were 600 bucks and i was like nope i'm not doing that that's i'm sorry that's that my dad should not have to pay that for me to because i'm a i'm a poor mets fan he shouldn't have to yeah you know, to, to shell that out so i didn't go but if they make the playoffs this year i will be at every game i can get to so. Yeah, I mean, I would not uh, believe me, guys, if I was home for that, like it kind of broke my heart. I mean, 2015 was this magical year and I'm on the it turned out fine, but I was upset. I was like, you got to be kidding me, dude. Like tour started the day of the postseason and went through the entire thing. Like I had to sit there with a broken heart on my bus watching game five. You know, the rest of the guys in the band got totally into it, too. They're all oh, they did. Mets hat. Oh, they got so. Claudio, the singer, he likes baseball, but not like me. He doesn't have a Mets tattoo on his chest. Like, he's not. <laughs> but they got so supportive. Because playoff baseball, when your team is in it and they're having this magical run, it's exciting. And to watch these guys that don't know jack about baseball totally get caught up in it, it's kind of the magic of the game. And every stop, we'd make sure, like, no, you know, sometimes if buses park, like, near a big bridge or something like the TV won't come in. We'd have the bus driver like inching around to make sure we had perfect reception because God forbid you couldn't miss a pitch, you know, but I would never turn down a chance. If I was home, I would have gone to some of those games for sure. And I hope I get a chance to remedy that this year, man. I hope I'm around and I hope I get a chance to go and I hope our Mets are in it, obviously. And if they are, I'm going to go because yeah, it'd be huge. Yeah. Well, let's, Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. Oh yeah, no, no. I think uh, <laughs> one of the uh, one of the reasons that I found out that you were such a big Mets fan was that Trevor May signs with the team. He mentions that he uses one of the one of your songs uh, as his entrance music, and then you reply to him like, "Hey, I got this Mets tattoo right here," <laughs> yeah. and, I, and that that was just a very cool moment. Of uh, I, I feel like you guys had both heard of each other, but maybe didn't know that there was that deep of a connection. Uh, yeah, it was awesome, dude. It was, and then like even crazier, my brother, who is also a career musician and a die-hard Mets fan, Joey Eppard, who fronts a band called Three. They have some just unbelievable records out on Metal Blade, and he's great and a die-hard Mets fan. He calls me up the other day, and he's like, "They're talking about you on the fan right now." And Trevor had done an interview, and he said I had a Mets tattoo on my neck, which makes it sound like it's like right here on my neck and all tough guy, but. Um, and then Craig Carton goes, yeah, you don't mess with guys with tattoos on their necks. And I almost felt tough for a second. But in reality, I'm like the softest guy in the, on the planet. But yeah, dude, it was insane. I, I, you know, imagine my excitement to have a Mets player come out to welcome home. I mean, it's such a huge song for us. But John Roush, the relief pitcher, 
he used to come out to it, but when he came to the Mets, he came out to a Rage Against the Machine song. And I'd always kind of wonder, like, one day, I wonder if the Mets will get a player that comes out to one of our songs. And here it is. And Trevor seems like just about the coolest guy. He really seems like a nice dude. And I know he's a hell of a pitcher. And you know how it is in New York. You struggle a little bit and people chew you up and yeah, jump down your throat. But I think May is going to be uh, such an important piece of the bullpen going forward. He already has been. I think May's a tremendous pitcher. And I really like the dude. Obviously, you know, I'm over the moon that he uses one of our tunes. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, John Roush, uh, real ne uh, neck, neck tattoo guy. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was cool, too. We, we, we made friends. You know, I've made friends with some ball players, and it's really wild to me. I mean, like, these guys are heroes to me. I wanted to be a baseball player. That's what I wanted to do. I just, I mean, truth be told, I wasn't good enough. You know, once, once kids started throwing 80, 85, it, I said, I better practice the drums because this shit is not happening for me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like kids make that leap to like becoming adults and you're 15, 16. And like, I just, I don't know. I, but that's really, you know, for years as a young kid, that was my dream. So to hang out with these guys that have reached the top of the heap, it's always such like an unbelievable thrill. And they're really my heroes. You know, these ballplayers are my heroes. I really look up to them. And uh, again, it just kind of reinforces how much I love the game and the guys that play it, you know, at the top of the heap, they have my undying respect. And um, the fact that any of them even know who I am, and it's a small, I can count them all on one hand. So it's not like I'm hanging out with a bunch of players. Um, but yeah, it's really a thrill. It's a tremendous thrill we've spoken with trevor before and trevor is fantastic so he seems awesome dude yeah he is so speaking of heroes who were some of your met heroes when you were a kid and then who were some of your favorite players today oh god I, you know i always had these really i don't think a lot of people answer with this but this is really the truth again i guess i'm kind of an outlier now of course i love doc and daryl and you know hojo and Cone, like all the big stars yeah of course i love them but i would always kind of God, Lance Johnson and his brief tenure with the Mets. Like, I loved that. I don't know why. Like, I can't even find or articulate a good reason. I mean, other than he led the league in hits. I think that was with the Mets. But it's just uh, Jose Vizcaino is another player that, like, for, he had the funky glasses. And I, those are some kind of wonky Mets teams. And I'd always, like, think that, oh, maybe Jose's going to hit 300. He would have these hot stretches. And he would be really good. And that's kind of what kept me glued to sports channel as a kid. Cause the Mets weren't really in contention then, but as a kid, kid, I mean, all the regulars, you know, strawberry doc. Gooden. In fact, Claudio from Coheed, he always brings up. That's why he likes the Mets. They had characters on that team. It was almost like a, you know, like a movie team. It was like all these funky characters led by Johnson. And it was just really cool. And, you know, I feel really, like lucky and spoiled that we got that as kids. And I'm sure that was like a, you know, a pillar of my Mets love, but I do kind of, I end up liking some of the, I guess, role players and bit players and guys like this guy, you know, and Lance Johnson and like Todd Pratt on Twitter. I follow Todd Pratt and he can say some wild shit, but like Todd Pratt's my hero, dude. The guy was delivering pizza and now he's back in the major leagues and hitting home runs. And I love stories like that favorite players now i mean the whole damn team this team this year is like so they're so special. fun they're yeah, so dude, fun this is incredible i mean i remember a buddy of mine really good ball player never made it but uh really talented local legend type of player
And he was saying, God, like, VR and Pilar, why do we have these bums? And it's like every game I remind him of him saying that. He's like having to eat his words because uh, those guys have been incredible. And those are the guys I like to root for. You know, they're talented players, uh, without a doubt. But, you know, they kind of came on as role players. And to see them succeed, like, nothing makes me happier. Nothing fills me with joy. Like seeing the replace Mets, as they call them. And mm -hmm. the bench guys really killing it um the whole team is my favorite i do love lindor i certainly was getting worried and i don't think there's any shame in saying that i was getting worried i mean i want i'm rooting for him i want him to be great and to see him start to come alive and really contribute is awesome it, it's just so thrilling um love vr can't wait for mcneil to come back i mean really dude the whole team and now that pete is i mean i love pete how could you not love pete I think this team could do some really special things. I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to talk about it too much, but there's a magic brewing in New York and uh, it's really, really exciting. So one of the things that I do is every week I host the show. There's this app called Locker Room and it's basically talk radio. People can come on and talk and there's a Braves fan that at the start of the year was giving me shit every week and was like, yeah, man, Mets are the second best second place team in the, in the league. Like they're going to be, they're going to be great. And even he is like, man, I'm worried about the Mets now. I'm, I'm really thinking that the Mets have something going on. And I think when you look at the division, no one else is looking as good as the Mets and the Mets don't have Conforto, McNeil, Syndergaard, Carrasco, Nimmo, Davis. Like there's still a lot of guys on the IL. And when those guys come back, I think the Mets are going to be really, really hard to, compete with at least i hope so at least i hope so are you guys worried at all about like when the mets do get their starters back that like disrupting some of this energy or is it gonna be a case of like hey the magic is gonna run out we're gonna need our starters i mean that's how i feel but they keep surprising me dude they keep on winning games and doing it with like fire and passion and i'm like some of those intangibles you don't want to mess with so i'm almost like you know not super antsy to get Conforto. I am though. Don't get me wrong, but like when they're playing really well, I'm almost afraid to disrupt it. Do you guys ever think about that? Um, not not so much. But I would say like I, I think the best thing about what they have going on right now is that it's that next man up mentality that they all seem to have. Yeah, I love that. That like when, when Pat Mazika was up, he knew he was not, you know, he might, he might get another shot at some point, but he knew he was not up for good. Yeah, sure. Um, the, just being realistic about it, but he became one of those role-playing, you know, characters of a team with his like crazy hipster beard. I love that guy, man. He's and awesome. the glasses and, 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 you know, he fully embraced the whole shirtless thing when Pete ripped, his, <laughs> ripped the jersey off. Um, so I think that's just a good example of, of kind of the mentality that a lot of these guys have. And, and a bunch of them are in this spot where, um, you know, they might bounce back and forth between Syracuse and Queens, but they know that they're going to get a little bit of time in the bigs and, and that's something they can take advantage of. Um, whereas, it, you know, I don't know if you, if everybody, everybody's healthy, and you get to a spot that you have somebody like Peraza that you'd have to say, sure, hey, look, sure, we don't sure. have room on the roster anymore. Then that could start to get awkward. But so many of these guys are just thrilled to be getting that shot. And then I think a big thing, too, is, th is that Alonzo, Lindor, Stroman, you know, it, it, they're really like the those are the guys who I think everybody gravitates to personality wise. And, you know, so I'd be I'd be more concerned. I don't want any of those guys to get hurt. No, certainly not. 
you know, I think they they kind of lead the energy of it, of it all. And yeah, you know, it was it was great to see Lindor. Um, you know, they talked about it on the broadcast a lot. Uh, just respecting, you know, hey, look, he's he's not off to a great start. He's not hitting like the player we know he is. But you know, he's out there. He's still upbeat. He's still cheering on his teammates. You know, he would he's not going to let that get him down. Mm-hmm. And he still played great defense. So, so yeah, I that's that's I guess how I look at it. I don't know, Brian. No, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I understand the fear, right? Like when a good thing is going, you don't want to fuck with that. I totally understand yeah. that, that, that mentality. What I would say though is like, so like Billy McKinney has been so much fun to watch in his two weeks yeah. as a Met, right? Like amazing. But that, if that guy was this good, you would have known about it beforehand, right? So if, if he has 10 home runs in him for the season and he gets them all out before July 1st, then you know it breaks my heart to not have that guy on the roster because he seems like some, a good dude who just wants to play baseball, right? But for the team's perspective, I think you're getting these great performances right now, and that just sets you up for success in the future. And I do think that guys like McKinney and Peraza, I think the Mets are going to try and find ways to keep those type of guys around. The Mason Williams of the world, the guys that have minor league options, I think you're going to see a lot of them let go. We've already sure, seen as they should be, you know, and that's fine. I know the team is going to be better with Conforto slotted in right field. Right. I do have, I've never voiced this before, but there is like an inner worry, you know, winning is hard. It's like finding the right group of guys that gel the right way. I mean, if it, if it was just as easy as buying a championship and certainly money sunk into the team is a big factor, but then there's like this intangible thing. And I see the Mets, they keep surprising me. They keep on winning. And I, I do have this inner worry of messing with it, but, clearly the Mets are going to be better with their frontline guys slotted in. And I know that like, I'm not insane, but McKinney, he's fucking awesome, man. The guy is awesome. <laughs> um, One of the questions I always like to ask musicians about baseball is when you're on the road, is it, is it nice to have something to do every day? Like, is it, a, is it add to the, or does, does it break up the monotony of the road a little bit when you know, you have a baseball game to watch? six days oh, a week or, yeah, or, or do you find like you don't get to watch as much as you'd like to because you're on the road? Well, that's also true though, too. You know, I mean, there are times that I'm in England and I'm, I'm up at, you know, in 2015, we we're in England. I didn't miss a game. I'm up at three in the morning watching the game. And, but yeah, it's a little piece of home, you know, and that's true. No matter where you are, here's your Mets. And it's a powerful thing, man. You know, and I got my wife on the phone with me and I'm watching the game on my iPad and it's like, God, you know, this is probably true of a lot of couples. Like when I met my wife, she wasn't a Mets fan. Now she's a girl that loves sports, more of a NFL girl. She played division one volleyball. She's a coach. She's a gym teacher, but now she is a bona fide diehard Mets fan because we watch these games together and she absorbs a lot of my yelling and whatnot. She wants to know what's going on. And so it's always like a true slice of home to have those baseball games, no matter what city you're in, no matter what town you're in, no matter what country you're in. Yeah, it's such like a gratifying piece of home. When you're at work, you inevitably have to miss some things. And that sucks, man. Because, I mean, honestly, like when I'm home, I probably watch 155 games a year. It's very rare. Our whole life at home is based off the Met game. What time dinner starts, what time, you know, first pitches. If it's a four o'clock game, we do kind of an early dinner so we can eat dinner and watch the game. It's just such a big part of our lives here. Um but yeah, to answer your question, Brian, yes, it's a tremendous, powerful piece of home when you're away. But then 
like you said, it's also true. You don't get to watch as much as for me, at least, because mm-hmm. I don't watch every single pitch of every single game. But when I'm home, I do, you know, yeah. I've been trying to like tweet less during the games because I fall into this thing where it's like I'm just one of many just tweeting what happened. We all know what happened. We're all watching the game. It's like, and then I'm talking about it. I like miss the next thing that happens. So I've been, because people have been asking me like, where have you been? Trust me, I'm watching the games, but I'm actually just watching the games and trying to get back to like a more old school, possibly antiquated way of watching baseball. But it's been really enjoyable, but I do kind of miss the tweet. Like I'll jump in here or there, but I just don't want to sit there with my phone in my hand. There's professionals that do that. All the writers do that. They don't need me jumping in like base hit right there for Smith. Everybody knows what happened. <laughs> but uh, do you guys, are you guys like on Twitter when you watch the game or do you watch the game? I'm curious. A little bit of both for me. I've tried to, I've tried to take a little bit more of a, of a break during games. Me too. Um, Cause it can just get, like you said, one, it, you're following people you like. So everybody's tweeting pretty much the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's and, insane. and then yeah. two, like uh, the highs and lows are higher and lower on Mets Twitter. Yeah. So anything happens and, and it's, it's just an extreme reaction. And like, I, look, I get that. That's how a lot of people experience sports. That that's fine. That's, you know, that's harmless. Um, but for me, I've just tried a little bit more to, to separate the two, but I, I, I'm not always good at it. And I've had stretches where like, okay, you know, I had, I was looking at tweets and the game for the entire game for a week straight. Yeah. Um, I fail at it too. What about you, Brian? Are you, do you get on Twitter during the games? A little bit. But so we have, we use <laughs> Slack and I mean, it's an avenue to like talk to each other and plan stuff. So we have yeah. a channel in Slack that everyone is watching the game and all typing to each other. So oh, that kind of, cool. re- that kind of replaces Twitter for me only because I feel like, um, like you said, you could only see a beat report beat reporter say like, "Wow, Degrom's really throwing tonight." You know, so yeah. many times before you realize, like, "All right, I've I've heard all of this before. I don't need to necessarily be uh checking them." But the nice thing is, when something blows up on Twitter, you feel like you're part of this. Like, it's almost like being in a room watching the game with your friends. Like everyone's tweeting about the same stuff, and it gets exciting. Like, oh, we we all just saw this amazing thing. I remember Twitter when Bartolo Colon hit the home run. Oh, that, was a, that was one of the best Twitter moments of my life because everybody yeah. was just flipping out. And it was so great to be a part of that just consensus flip out moment. You know, No, you bring up a really good point uh, in the good times. It really does feel like that. You're watching the game with thousands of your friends and it can be really enjoyable. Like I'm trying to find the balance, if you will. Like I'm trying mm-hmm. to find the right balance to where I'm not just sitting on Twitter it was my wife who said something a few weeks ago. She's like, the entire game, you're looking down at your phone. And I'm like, God, that's really true. And it's kind of been hard to not grab my phone every time something happens. But there's here's my people- solution. I have a yeah, good solution for this. When DeGrom is pitching, I can only look at my phone when the Mets are batting. When DeGrom, okay. I, have, I have to watch DeGrom pitch. And so I kind of go based on the game. So like tonight, Peterson, I will only look at my phone when Peterson's pitching because I'm, he is. Brian, I'm going to do this, dude. I'm going to do this. This is great. I'm going to do it hands down for sure. Yeah, so I just I take the most exciting part of the game. I focus on that. And then I'll if the parts aren't as great, then I can tweet and go on Slack and shit like that. There you go. That's the balance. That's what I'm trying to find. Cause I do miss like the good parts. And I, I really do try to be positive. Like even last night after the grand slam, I think my next tweet was, okay, we got to scratch a couple, 
you've got to claw back, put a couple runs up in the seventh here. Then Machado hit the the home run, <laughs> and I wrote, okay, never mind. And I can't help, you know, I mean, I'm only human, but I think in general I try to be positive because I know just how extreme Mets Twitter can be, and, like, I'm certainly part of that sometimes, but I really try not to be. And uh, I feel like, especially with this team, I've been so rewarded for my positivity, and it's only, like, making me kind of want to be more positive and not get so down in the dump. I mean, I'm certainly no Frank the tank, that guy, but you know, I can get frustrated and whatnot, but this team keeps surprising me, keeps on winning. So I'm going to stay trying to be as positive as I can be. And hopefully they keep rewarding that, but it's been such a fun year so far. I can only hope have my fingers crossed that it continues, but what a ride it's been so far. It's been awesome. I mean, our Mets are in first place. I mean, I got a shit eating grin about our Mets. So I'm, I'm very, very excited. Now, before we let you go, we got to talk about Coheed a little bit. What's what's going on for you guys? You guys making a new record? Do you have any touring plans? What's what's happening? Oh, God, dude, I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about. Obviously, with the <laughs> pandemic, like, you know, we, we did this cruise. Like, it's a big step for a band like us. Like, we're, you know, we're not Green Day. We're not, like, Metallica or, you know, we're like this kind of, we're like the cockroach of rock and roll. They can't get rid of us, but we keep growing. I mean, 2018 and 2019 were like our two best years ever in terms of like ticket sales. And we just, I think that's the lifeblood of our band is the live show. So you can imagine like the pandemic uh, really thwarting a lot of that. And I think we're all really, really excited to get back out there. Things are coming. Announcements are coming. I don't know what they have planned and I don't want to screw it up, but there's a bunch of shit coming up. Um, and I'm really excited. I mean, I, I can't wait to get back to work. Um, I just hope it's not through the postseason run if the Mets are there. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, any anything else that you're listening to these days over the last year? I feel like we've all had more time than ever to to kind of listen to stuff. Um, you know, I know people who are in bands love music. Yeah. Uh, any anything big that stood out? God, you know, either new stuff or not new stuff, man. I gotta tell you, like, I don't know if it was from like fear but I went back to like all the stuff I loved as a kid. And it was really interesting to listen to it. You know, it's like, I know every word to every Led Zeppelin song. I know the track listing, this and that, but God, I, it's like, I experienced so much Zeppelin that I don't really listen to Led Zeppelin anymore. And I started, you know, I'd run, I do these half marathons on Monday and I just let like two Zeppelin records go by during the half marathon and like experiencing it as a 40 year old adult, is a lot different than experiencing it as a 13 year old kid or even a 20 year old man slash kid. So I've been going back to a lot of the old stuff, the police, Pink Floyd, the stuff that made me fall in love with rock music. Um, and that's kind of been where my head's been at. And I think, I don't know, I hope it pays dividends in a way. I mean, that's not why I did it. I think I honestly was afraid. I think I was really afraid of what was happening and just wanted to go back. We talk about baseball being a slice of home. Well, so is music, you know, and I went back to the things that like turned me on so much as a kid, made me feel not so alone as a kid. Even like Prime is sailing the seas of cheese. I I re-fell in love with oh, that yeah. record. I could not stop listening to it. Dude, I had and then I went to pork soda. These records that like changed my life as a kid. Chili peppers, blood sugar, sex magic, all the stuff that really turned me on as a kid. I kind of kept digging into that. As far as new stuff. Gosh, I don't know. I could give you a laundry list, but like foggy headed Josh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I'm always listening to stuff. Um, Cindy Lauper has yeah. been on the playlist a lot lately. That's not new by any means, but that's when one I've been really into. I, 
and I think this is true with most people. We probably all have a pretty eclectic music taste, mm-hmm. um, pretty wide window, if you will. Well, that's true for me, dude. I listen to a lot of hip hop music. I listen to a lot of like folk music is something I'm really into old country stuff. I'm kind of like really into Dolly Parton. I never experienced Dolly Parton music. I just always assumed I didn't like country, but Dolly Parton has got some shit, dude. Like some, I've been crying in my bed. Like, Oh my God, this song is so beautiful. I love Dolly Parton. So I, it's again, hard for me to come up with anything new, but let me do some homework. I'll tweet it to you all the new stuff. Cause there is a bunch of new stuff, but they're probably like heavy bands that most people haven't heard of, but, um, yeah, I guess, I don't know, man, like in the age of computers and like overly quantized music and kind of sucking out all the human to me, it's really like refreshing to go back to when music was put on tape and music felt human, uh, you know, even like old Metallica stuff and like things like that has kind of been what got me through this last year. So yeah, not too yeah. new. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Hey, all good. Primus, the first time I saw them was at Roseland and they played Sailing to Seize the Cheese in its entirety. No shit. And they were, and, and Les Claypool worked in uh, a piece of, um, oh God, the not not another brick in the wall, but a piece of one of the songs off the wall. Yeah, yeah. Brian, do you remember what it was? I wasn't there, so no. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, that was, that that record has a special place and I still love Primus. Yeah. Uh, and then my one, yeah, just because you might appreciate this, my one thing, 2015, going to all these playoff games, uh, the Amazing Avenue crew was meeting up at bars for road games, you know, uh, just kind of going all out. Probably the most overboard I've been with, like, going out and, and all that. They lose game five. Next morning I wake up, Kendrick Lamar is playing Terminal 5, and some, you know, Ticketmaster had some face value tickets and I'm like, I need to pick me up. I just saw the Mets lose the World Series last night. Sure. I go to that show. It's a tiny venue for him. Great show. And the next day, my body is just like, okay, you're sick for a week yeah. now. Like, <laughs> you, it was too much. You, you did too much for a month. I let you go. And, and like, you're done. You're just going to be miserably sick for a week. You flew too close to the sun, Chris. Um, yeah. Let me ask you, are you a big Kendrick Lamar fan? Uh, yeah, I, I, I love him. Dude, I, I didn't unreal. I didn't get in on day one, but once once I heard him, um, yeah, to pimp a butterfly, and then went back, you know, and and have stayed a fan. And it's been a little bit now since he's put something out. I know um, he's brilliant though, dude. To see him at Terminal Five, I gotta follow you yeah. around, dude. You're seeing all the good <laughs> shit. Like that's insane. <laughs> that's awesome. A uh, big Kendrick fan, huge. Kendrick fan do you like a lot of hip-hop stuff or do you into any like underground hip-hop stuff Jedi mind tricks Vinny Paz or anything like that uh so I don't know those and I'm not I, I can't claim to be the biggest expert but I've, I've definitely been a hip-hop fan uh you know for a while Outcast was my go-to oh, love Outcast big time Huge. Outcast, Same. Same. Snoop Dre uh you know that that stuff as, as a white kid in the suburbs in high school, uh, you know, that was like, <laughs> you know, but I, but I can still go back and listen to that stuff oh, dude, um, all the time. I mean, doggy style, the chronic, even dog pound. I just way into that. We're, we're all probably like similar age. Like that stuff really shaped me yeah, as a kid yeah. too. And like, you know, hip hop music really taught me a lot about playing drums. I was this like hot headed cocky kid who wanted to play a fill every four bars. And I was in a serious band. I mean, we signed to Universal when I was like 16 years old and, 
you know, wow. like, uh, yeah, it was getting serious. We had like, investors and there were things happening where it was like, hey, this is serious. You don't just get to come and be a kid and fuck off and do whatever you want. And they would put on hip hop records for me to just play along to, to learn th- about pocket and groove and and that it wasn't all about like the drummer and that you're playing to be a part of a song. So I'm like forever indebted to those early Dre records with the loud drums that I could really fall into. I mean, I can hear it in everything I play. Um, even if it's like the most rock thing that I'm doing, I can hear that Dr. Dre influence. So those records are huge to me, Chris, huge. Um, yeah. And, me- and I love, I love that HBO series where Dre so goes into his love of Nirvana and, and all this other so stuff. You sick. Know. Yes. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Everything connects, you know, all- even, even if it's not obvious Dude, from your lips to God's everything connects. Um, it all comes, it's all, we all influence each other. It's all intertwined. I feel like that's one really good thing about life and culture right now, as opposed to when I was a kid. Like when I was a kid, you were either a metalhead or you were a hip hop guy or you were this or you were that. Where now there's like a lot of genre melding. It's like the, the death of genres, which I'm into and art just intertwining with each other. And I'm all for it, man. Be creative and don't border yourself with these you know you have to be like this because this is what we are so i'm with that it speaks to me at least as an artist big time the other great thing about the internet now is like i was the only kid in my high school who liked primus and so i had to like i had to put up with a lot of people not digging what i was into whereas now you go on the internet you tweet who's a primus fan and you get a million people back to you so you you recognize you're not so alone you don't feel so isolated in your little pockets of fandom and hopefully that the same thing goes when you know when that that Primus fan from Japan tweets at you and says, "Have you heard this band?" And maybe you haven't heard of them. And then you're learning all this. There's just such a such an opportunity to learn about new music and to find it in organic ways. It's fantastic. Yeah, big time. I often wonder. You know, people sometimes say like, "Gosh, we were born in the wrong era because like you know records don't sell like they used to." But God, who knows? In another era, we might not even have made a footprint. Like, we owe the internet. Like, I mean, if ultimately we got into this to expose, to touch people through our art, right? That was really, like, when we were kids and turned on by music, that's why we started a band. We're forever indebted to the internet. Clear, born in the wrong era. We're still here doing it. I'd say we're born in exactly the right era, motherfucker. We're 40 years old playing on stage for thousands of people a night. What are you talking about? But uh, (laughs) I don't mean, I just mean talking to other bands and stuff. You know, sometimes people talk shit like that, but. um, Right. Are you? Yeah, my my favorite little story, and it was reported, I think it was a a, a real story. Iron Maiden, like back when Napster was the big thing and people are just downloading music and not paying for it. Not that Spotify or Apple music or anything is paying artists much these days anyway. But back back when it was, (laughs) you know, just that Iron Maiden, uh, I think they like gathered the location data of where their songs were being downloaded. And they were like, oh shit, South America is downloading our songs like crazy. Let's go play a bunch of big shows there and just took advantage. And I thought that was a, a fan friendly and, and also smart approach to just, hey, there, there's something we can tap into maybe a little bit more than than we would have without that. God, you know? Chris, I've never heard that. I got to like Google that and look that up because I know Maiden plays these like legendary shows in South America and all over the world. I mean, we got to tour with Maiden once and they're like the nicest guys. Um, I was so hopeful to ride in Ed Force One, but they didn't take it to any shows. But oh, what are you going to do? I know, I know. But dude, first night of the tour. So half the tour was Alice Cooper and then we're on the other half, both as support for Iron Maiden. And the first night of tour, 
we get there and there's like bottles of champagne and a bunch of glasses. Welcome to the tour, signed Iron Maiden. It's like, dude, they're Iron Maiden. It's the only band I've ever seen do that. It was just such a class move. Nicest dudes on planet Earth. And Claudio and Travis from Coheed are like two giant Iron Maiden fans. So it's really like a dream come true. And God, that was going back now, 2013 or 2014. So, you know, a good few years ago. But hopefully we could do something in the future again. I mean, I certainly am an Iron Maiden fan now. I love that band now. But I didn't get into it as a kid. And maybe because like, you're either a metalhead or you're this or you're that. Maybe I got caught up in that. Didn't really get. They, they were probably too old for us, right? Like they were. They weren't cool when we were in high school. Totally, they were, they were the generation before that. So, yeah, yeah, dude, totally. And now I really get it. And I'm a huge Iron Maiden fan, but it just kind of missed my radar. You hit the nail on the head, Brian. Like I didn't really know any kids listening to Iron Maiden. I was more, and I was into rock music, but I don't know. Somehow Maiden missed me, and it hit me. But I think it hit me at the right time because now I listen to a lot of Maiden and. Um, yeah, we got to tour with them. It was a huge thrill and like a life moment for the other guys in the band. But I sure hope we can do something again in the future with them. Who knows? Maybe we will. That would be super nice. duper sick. I'll get on Ed Force One one day. Believe me. Yeah, that that would be awesome. All right, so this is me being a bad podcaster. It was reported in a couple of legitimate places, but they both have updates years later yeah, yeah. that somebody shot it down. So Rolling Stone reported it. This other thing, I, I dropped it in the chat here that reported it. So for several years, it was out there on the internet as a, as a legit story. And then somebody shot it down. So No shit. What? The Iron Maiden story? Yeah. yeah the, the Using the data for the tour day, uh, plan. So oh, that makes, I, that's me. Gonna, that's on me. I'm going to pretend you never. I'm just going to believe that story because it's a great fucking <laughs> story. I'm, I didn't hear any of this. I'm erasing this and I'm going to believe that because it's a great story. The, there we go. It, it was it, it was on the Internet for years and in my brain. So at least I remembered it correctly. That's well, true. No need to correct. Well, listen, it's a good story. Josh, we can keep you all day, but we all have we all have lives to get back to. Unfortunately, <laughs> where can folks find you on Twitter if they want to hear your Mets takes? Uh, well, at Weird Science, W-E-E-R-D underscore science, just to make sure it's extra hard to find me. I don't, I can't believe I have more than 10 followers, honestly, with that name, but, um, that's actually my side project. I believe it or not, I have six rap records out under the name Weird Science. That's why I have that Twitter handle. But, uh, yeah, that's where you can see me talking about the Mets, trying to stay positive, talking about music and other bullshit takes today. I'll probably film. There's turtles in my yard laying eggs. I'll film some of it. So you get a real wide eclectic mix with Josh Twitter. So come and hang out with me. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. Please go follow Josh at Weird Science. That's weird with two E's on Twitter. And make sure to check out Coheed and Cambria when they come out on tour later this year. We had talked to Josh the day before they announced the tour, and he wasn't sure what he could say or not say. And so, of course, in Amazing Avenue tradition, we post a podcast directly before news breaks. So uh, check them out on tour later this year. They're coming to, I believe, Holmdel in New Jersey and maybe one other tri-state area appearance. So check them out. You can also check out Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as at AmazingAvenue.com. You can find this on all of our podcasts on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, usually you can find us. Chris is on Twitter, at Chris McShane. I'm at Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Brian Needs an App. And until next time, let's go. Let's go.